Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops. I'm your host, Paul Oren, and you're tuned in to a podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference. You can find me on Twitter at NWI Oren, and you can find Union Street Hoops at Apple Pods, SoundCloud, Spotify, and most importantly, NWI.com. Welcome to the 115th episode of Union Street Hoops. Happy to have you here. I went back through and I, I did a database catalog of all of the episodes. One of the reasons I did that was because I thought to myself the other day, I was like, man, who who do I want to have on the show that I haven't had before? I'm like, God, you know what? It's I feel like I haven't talked to Corey Johnson in a long time. And I went back through the archives and uh, sure enough, episode 33 on July 11th, 2017, I interviewed Corey Johnson. That's just one example right there. And uh, and I thought to myself, man, I, I, I need to figure out who I've actually talked to and who I haven't. So many of these interactions have happened either on the podcast or I've, I've just talked on the phone with these people and it's been great. And and so I, I went through and, and I categorized everything and and, uh, you know, I used to name the episodes by number, and, and part of the reason we did that was because I wasn't smart enough to come up with titles. And also, you know, I wanted to, you know, each each number we got to, Parker and I, back when Parker was on the podcast, we would call out a, you know, a player and, and everything like that. So, um, and, and, and so that was kind of fun. And then one day, the uh, our digital director, uh, Matt Schubert, who now works in Denver, he, uh, he said to me, hey, uh, they're going to traffic better if you uh, if you actually name them something. And I said, "All right, well, I, you're the boss." And so, uh, and and so that we started doing that, and that was fun. And um, and and so, starting some point in uh, late 2017, we started uh, naming all of these things. And man, it's just it was crazy to go back through and and just and, and categorize all these because I realized just how many different people, and this is what I was really blessed by, how many different people have taken the time to 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 reach out and, and talk and get interviewed, right? And, and, and people that have have no reason to spend 20 minutes or a half hour. And in today's episode, in a little bit, we're going to have Howard Little on, one of my favorites. Uh, and, and, you know, we probably should have had him on episode number 14, because um, he was number 14, loved Howard, and he, he talked for an hour and five minutes with me, and and so you're going to get that interview, and Howard takes us through his entire career at Valpo, we go deep into the Butler game, uh, you know, talking about that and what it was like to finally beat those guys, and then, you know, I got to give Howard a lot of credit, we talked about the Iona CIT game, and Howard admits what we've all kind of known that that they just didn't really care about that game and it's it's really really interesting to hear him talk about it now and uh and I think I think you'll really appreciate kind of and and you might disagree with where Howard's coming from a little bit on on that and it's interesting to hear him kind of talk about that Iona game, which ultimately was the final game of his career, and maybe some of the frustration of having to even be in that game and and what it is. And uh, I, I just I don't want to say too much more because I, I really do think you'll appreciate Howard's perspective and what he had to say. So I thought it was great. Um, and so we're going to get to Howard here in a second. I wanted to also share something with you that I've hinted at a little bit. And uh, 
but but I, I guess if there's a a somewhat formal announcement, this would be it. Although we're not really, this is like the unofficial official formal announcement. Um, I have uh, I've started research into a book that I hope to write on the history of Alpo basketball, and it uh, man, it has been a blast to to start with this right. And I figured on the podcast, I'll I'll kind of take you behind the curtain a little bit as to kind of what what it is that I've been doing. And I'll talk to you about that, you know, kind of as the process unfolds. I don't have a book deal. I haven't written a prospectus or I haven't done any of that stuff, right? Um, But I'm really in the research thing right now. And if nothing ends up coming out of this, if no one wants to publish or anything like that, who knows, right? For me, Valpo basketball is something that for whatever reason, I never played it. I never, I don't, didn't play for the Crusaders, right? But for whatever reason, it's been something that I've always been really passionate about covering and um, and following and all of that. So, I I know a little bit about some of the history, right? There are are, are decades that I don't know anything about. I know the names, but I don't know anything about it. And so I always told myself that. You know, I've been in Valpo for 15 years now, and I always kind of said I wanted to do this project. And and if I did this project, I could – not that I'm looking to walk away from Valpo, but I could be content in in, in knowing that my time here was up. You know, I – there were always books in the house when I was a kid. We read all the time. My dad read all the time. I read all the time. My mom read all the time. And I just remember the days when my dad would bring a book home. My dad was a Civil War reenactor. I think I've mentioned this a couple times. And he'd bring a book home about Civil War stuff, and his name would be in it. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. And I told him one day that that my name will be in a book. Well, it's, it's funny, actually, talking to Howard uh, we bring up Andrew Ferry, which you're going to love what he's got to say about Andrew Ferry. And that his Andrew Ferry's father, Patrick Ferry, who was actually the president at Concordia Mequon, the first school that I attended, he wrote a book, which I reference in the interview with Howard, and I'm quoted in it. And I remember how cool it was to go to my bookstore in Milwaukee that I would go to all the time. And I found that book and I saw my name in a book in a bookstore that I used to shop at when I was a kid. Loved it. Kind of a a nerd geek moment right there. Anyway, I had told my dad at a very young age, I'm going to have a book someday. I've always been on this path. I just never knew what I wanted to write about until I realized I've always wanted to write about Valpo basketball. So a couple weeks ago when this whole quarantine pandemic thing started, I said, all right, this is this is the impetus to start doing this. And I, you know, I've done some deep dives on stuff before. I did a big piece on the world's tallest team. I did a big piece on uh, Valpo beating Notre Dame. I did a big piece on the Sweet 16 kind of 20 years ago or 25 years ago or whatever it was, or, or the shot at 20 I did two years ago. Great, great podcast I did. One of my favorites that 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 we did on uh it was episode number 62, uh, The Shot at 20, which I did with Todd and Sean and Paul Jankowski. It's excellent. One of my favorite podcasts that we did. Um, so I, I've, I've danced around some of the history, but it was I, I figured it was time to really aggressively go after this. So the first thing I did was I wanted to figure out, okay, well, who do I have to interview? 
Jeff Perlman, who is maybe in, and he he kind of knows it, but he doesn't really know it. We 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 have a relationship with one another. He's written some great books. He he just wrote one on the USFL. He wrote book a book about uh, Showtime with the Lakers, and he's writing another one now about kind of a follow up with the Kobe and Shaq years. He's written about Walter Payton, Brett Favre, and Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds. He's written some great books about the '86 Mets and the Cowboys. He's just excellent. You know his number one piece of advice about book writing is interview everybody and then interview everybody else. And so I said, all right, well, who do I need to interview? So I've, uh, you know, I started by making a list of every player to play for Valpo. Now, ValpoAthletics.com has this list, but what they have is years that the guys have played. They don't have a year-by-year roster breakdown. Now, some of this might be a lot easier if I could, you know, go to the archives at the library at Valpo or go to the basketball wing and look through some of their stuff. But with everybody quarantined right now, no one, none of that stuff is open. So I started by making a year-by-year roster list of looking at kind of who, who played for Valpo in what years. And what I have found is obviously, first of all, the records are, are, are pretty well put together. Um, but I can also tell that there are some things that are missing, such as if you go, one of the first things I found was that first year that Valpo played, 1917-18, the all-time roster only lists one player, uh, Alan Dalrymple, as being on that roster. Uh, and so going back through the beacon, which used to be called the record, which is Valpo's yearbook, I found a bunch of names of guys that were on that first team. Obviously, they're all dead now. Um, and then, you know, trying to search out from that. Matter of fact, then there's a couple of years where I can tell that the student yearbook was not, they maybe don't have a copy of it. And that falls in line with the fact that in 1925, 26, and 26, 27, they only have two and three players on that roster, respectively. So it's been a lot of looking back at that. Uh, I've, I've spent a lot of time looking at. Uh, a book that Richard Bapler wrote, I think that's how you pronounce his name, about the history of Valparaiso University. And that's got some really good stuff in there uh, about basketball as well. And then going back through old The Torch, the student newspaper, and the Valpo yearbooks and all of that, and then trying to figure out where to start. Along those lines, I wanted to figure out, okay, we've got the all-time roster. How many of these people are around, right? How many people are, are alive? And so... I figured pretty much everybody that played in the 20s and the 30s and into the 40s are probably gone. We're in the 40s. We're starting to see some people pop around. And uh, and so I've just been Googling old players and their obituaries and making notice of that. And that has been uh, a morbid challenge. I'll put it that way. Um, one of the first players – I started in the mid-40s, and obviously I had done – a lot of work on the world's tallest team piece I did about six years ago. And I remember the day that I started researching that Milt Schoon passed away and he was the final member of that team that was alive. So I knew that everybody from that year was gone. And I figured, you know, that would be a good place to start. So I've worked backwards from there. And one of the first people that I came across uh, was Calvin Luther, who played at Valpo from 1947 to 1951. And he was interview number one for whatever project, that this book project that I'm doing. I, I conducted the interview last week. He's 93 years old. We talked for an hour on the phone. Um, 
He's got a very interesting background. The reason why he was interview number one for me was because he graduated from Bayview High School in Milwaukee, which is where my parents graduated from. And I wanted to have a connection there as, you know, kind of an homage to my parents who have instilled in me the love of, of reading and writing and all of that. And I thought, what better way to do that than by to interview somebody that graduated from their high school as interview number one. What I didn't know was that Calvin Luther coached at Bethel in 1999, 2000, not Bethel, Indiana, Bethel, Tennessee. And he had a forward on the team by the name of Luke Gore. And so Calvin Luther has a connection to Valpo in that way back again. You know, obviously he played here. Um, and obviously Luke has been here for a long time. And, um, you know, it's, it in this industry, there are some crazy people. There are some people who will, who will smile at your face while the knife is in your back. And then there's Luke Gore, who is as genuine of an individual as there is out there. And and I just I, I thought, what way what better way to pay tribute to my parents in one, but secondly, a guy like Luke who's been around forever. And really I imagine if if we peel back everything here, um, you know, Homer Drew obviously has been around for a long time in the program. Um but you know, you really got to look at a guy like uh, like Luke Gore as one of the longest running people involved in Valpo basketball, who will play a, a big role in the history of this place. So, needless to say, interview number one was Calvin Luther last week. In the midst of talking to him, um, he uh, you know he starts telling me about some of the players that he played with, and one of the guys he mentioned was Bob Metcalf. And, uh, you know, so it was like the best shooter that Valpo had. And uh, at the time, Metcalf, I think, was Valpo's all-time leading scorer. And sadly, just saw the news that Bob Metcalf had, uh, had passed away last week. So um, every time I do one of these projects, it seems that somebody that I want to reach out to and, and get a hold of passes away. So uh, needless to say, okay, uh, I'm, I, there's, we are in the, in the, very, very, very early stages of anything here. And, um, you know, there were 530 players, I think. I, I Some of the numbers are conflicting, but, but on the all-time roster right now, there are 530 guys that have played basketball for Valpo. Um, you know, everyone from Bryce Drew all the way down to Griffin Carpenter uh, and, and Nate Stuggleman, who played for a game or two. And, um, and so right now it's just the process of going through the list, finding out where people are, and and then doing research and then calling and then interviewing and then doing more research and then calling and then interviewing. And there's no rhyme or reason to a lot of it right now, but uh, I'm happy to have you all along for the ride here as uh, as we go through this. And I, uh, I certainly hope that that this all comes to fruition, and then I certainly hope that you all buy the book because, uh, you know, this this will certainly be a labor of love. I know some people who have written books before, and uh, it is a zero-sum gain from what I understand, um, but uh, it's a labor of love as as all of this has, has often been. So uh, can't wait to dive more into it, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And if nothing else— um, just learning more about the guys that have come through this program and and shaped what's going on. So I can't wait. It's 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 been a blast. 
All that being said here, I know this is a, turning into a longer episode now. It's going to be about an 80-minute episode. I want to bring Howard Little in here, and uh, and maybe he was interview number two because you got you better believe I'll be taking a lot of what he had to say in here and uh, and sharing this in, in, in his, his situation because he had some great stuff here. Um, I think you'll enjoy this, and, uh, you know, stay healthy, stay safe, do what you're doing, and uh, enjoy the interview. Howard, thank you for joining Union Street Hoops. How are you? I'm great, man. It's uh, it's it's been a, a, a heck of a journey just from you know from being at Valpo, I want to say what ten years ago to now. So a lot has happened, a lot of good, a lot of bad, but uh, definitely uh, grateful for the times. So I was thinking about you the other day because I'm watching the Bulls documentary, as I just told you when I called you, and also I was on I was on Snapchat. And I saw Brandon McPherson on there. Looks like he got a gift in the mail from you. Can you can you tell me about what you sent, Brandon? Yeah. Um, so I sent um, my groomsmen uh, some custom made boxes, shoe boxes with uh, some footwear in there, and it was kind of like their invitation, uh, inviting them to be my groomsmen for my wedding. Congratulations, Howard Little, getting hitched. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Thanks. So here on the podcast, you know, when we talk to guys that have played, and as you said, it's been about 10 years, I kind of like to go back through their journey a little bit. And, you know, some people have got different memories than others. Other people, you know, some people can tell you specifically what they were doing. I interviewed Torrance Price, who played about 10 years before you did. And I, I talked to him about a particular game against Oakland, and he was able to map out every play that they ran. And then I've talked to some other guys, and I don't want to say their names, but, I mean, they couldn't even remember what conference they were in. Um, when, when you look back on your time at Valpo, just what, what what's the maybe prevailing memory that you take or, or thought? Was it enjoyable? What was just the, your, your overall view of the whole experience? Um, I, I definitely think it was uh, a great experience. I mean, um, very different, I think, from a lot of other um, collegiate athletes. Um, at least I know going into Valpo, this is when we first transitioned into the Horizon League. So that was one exciting for me just to play in a new conference. So it was just a great new look just for uh, the school itself. Um, and just, you know, getting able to compete now at a higher level, I think that was one of the things that was um, a lot of people were noticing about our school that, hey, these kids can now play at a higher level in a stronger conference. So that was one of the main things coming in and kind of like one of my bigger decisions on even coming to Valpo just because of the conference change. That was like huge for me. And that was my first real question for you was, so your first year was Valpo's first year in the Horizon League. I, you know, it's been so long. I don't remember if you were an early commit or a late commit, but, you know, I imagine Valpo had, I think Valpo announced, and then they had like a year of prep time to get ready. So when you committed to Valpo, did you already know that they were moving to the Horizon League? Um, I did know, yeah, because I committed in October of 2006. I yeah, believe. so in, in May is when they made the announcement that they were moving the following year. Um, to uh, And it's interesting because when Valpo just moved to the Missouri Valley, like they announced it and said we're moving in like three weeks. It was like a full like year, <laughs> a full year run up before. So you were you were like one of the first Horizon League recruits for Valpo at that point. Then, uh, yeah, and I think that was the year that they moved the three point line behind as well. So we just got to the Euro line. You shot twenty percent from the three point line your freshman year. So are you blaming that on the moving the three point line back? <laughs> 
I, I can throw that in there a little bit. <laughs> what was that, what was that year like? Your first your first year, you got Sean Huff on the team. You've got uh, you know obviously Jake and and Brandon there, who I know you're close with. You come in with Mike Rogers, I think. Callum McLeod transferred in that year. Matt Bennett was new to the team. What was what was that experience? And obviously, and and it's a sad situation. Uh, Brian Bushy was on your team that year as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I had a great relationship with all the uh, the uh, incoming freshmen of my class, um, and and more probably a, a more relationship or a closer relationship with uh, Bushy, um, as he was my roommate. Um, come into my freshman year, but um, I know he had a family that was close by, so he usually stayed there a lot, but um, I think, you know, with the team that we had, just I'm, as far as just the freshmen, we were tight-knit. I mean, we would push each other in workouts, knowing that we were all in different positions. We all had different ways to push each other, just to maximize our potential, to so make sure that we were prepared on the court. That first year, you guys, I mean, what a schedule you played. You went to Vanderbilt, you went to Wisconsin, you went to North Carolina, and then you had that game at home against uh, against Butler um, where you guys lost late. I think Jared Lloyd went to the free throw line, missed one. Uh, we're going to talk about Butler a little bit later on because there's a big moment in Valpo history that involves you and Butler, and, and so I'll just tease that a little bit. Then you went to the uh, was it the CBI at the end of the year there? Yeah, CBI. What was that experience like? This was a, this was a brand new tournament. No one had heard of it or anything like that. Um, you obviously you you went down to Butler. You lost to Cleveland State in the conference tournament. You know it was a good showing getting to the semifinals your first year, I think. Um, what was it like going out to Washington? What was that whole experience like? I mean, I think it was great. I mean, just for one, getting kind of like getting able to travel to the West Coast. I think all of our games were majority Midwest, East Coast. So, uh, and I think that was during, oh, after we won that, it we went to Houston, it was during Easter, which was a crazy experience as well. But just going out to Washington, I mean, the atmosphere for them being at what, a Pac-10 uh, school, um, the kids were all there. We thought it was going to be pretty much of a dead zone, but it was a packed house. Um and then the fact that, you know, we, we played a tough game. I think, you know, Brian Bushy had a, a hell of a game there. Uh, Brandon had a heck of a game there. Jared had a game there. So it was just everyone was just putting in a lot of work just from the bench all the way up to uh, the people that were on the court and contributed to to um, getting that win. I think I only had like two points. I had like a layup <laughs> that game, I think. But uh, I think it was just it was all around the full team win. So you have this first year in the Horizon League. Everyone's kind of riding high about that. Obviously, you, you lose some players off that team. Um, you know, Sean Huff, I think Jared Lloyd graduated. Uh, and then you come into a year where you've got a bunch more freshmen on the team. You bring in Eric Bugs, You bring in DeAndre Haskins, Cam Witt, Benjamin Fumai, Logan Jones, Andrew Ferry, Nick Shelton, all these guys. Uh, McPherson gets hurt, and you guys have just a tough, tough year. Um, what did you learn maybe about basketball and, and life in that nine and 22 season? And it was, that was a tough season. I mean, um, you know, after every game, um, you try to learn stuff, something from it and then you go into practice and then you prepare for the next game. And I think that was one of the things. And, uh, Jake at the time was really, really good of just, you know, holding the team together. Um, we really wanted to, for one, 
make sure that, you know, he had a good year. Um, getting close to his senior year. I think he was a senior. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Year. He was a senior. And then Brandon played yeah. in five Brandon games. And had a post year. Yeah. So, yeah, we wanted to just, you know, I think the fight was for him. It was like, you know, he put in so much work. I mean, he was like the, the heart of the team. And he would, you know, put his heart out on the line no matter what. And we wanted to work for him uh, just to make sure he had a good year. But he was really, really good putting uh, the team together and making sure that we were focused. Uh, even though uh, the success wasn't uh, great on our end, you know, every every game was a learning experience for us. Um, but like I said, we had a lot of young guys, a lot of young guys who thought that they could come in and, and contribute at that high level right away because they were the best on their high school team. But it was a it was a gut check, reality check. I think that was like my my best percentage shooting that year too, and my and our worst percentage of losing that year as well. You played North Carolina at the United Center, number one team in the country. I remember. Um, I think we, I think we we might have. I don't remember if you came to Chicago or if you were on a press uh, like a phone call. But there was like, you were a Chicago guy. Um, I think there was a kid from North Carolina who was a Chicago guy, and it Brandon was Brandon Fraser. Yeah, 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 yeah. What was that experience like to go up against number one? I know you'd played him your freshman year, but to play number one, Hansborough at the United Center? I mean, it was great. Uh, I mean, I remember coming out for warm-ups, and for one, we were playing at the house that, you know, Jordan made for one. Two, you look around, you're like, wow, there's 10,000 baby blue or North Carolina blue shirts around, and then there's this quarter of a section of yellow. Uh, And it was a home game for you. (laughs) Yeah, it was a home game for us, but it, it definitely felt like an away game. But at the same time, I think that, um, you know, just an exciting feeling just to play on that stage, um, too, just to represent Chicago, just knowing that that's the city where I'm from and, and knowing that I had a home crowd there and understanding that, you know, this is basketball at the end of the day. You know, you want to compete and win. You want to play the best. This is the stage that was meant for us. Uh, and we played pretty well for the first couple yeah, you did. <laughs> of minutes. Until uh, you actually saw what uh, North Carolina could really do, and that is to dominate their uh, competitors. I will tell you that you led the team in rebounding in that game. That's the good news. It was with four. That's the bad news. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you, because we're on the topic of uh, United Center and North Carolina, and did you watch the uh, the Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, the other night on ESPN? I did. Uh, it was definitely full and tuned. I, and and what you know, and I didn't. I think you just posted a picture. I think the other day of you, uh, of you and Jordan. What was that all about? Yeah, uh, just years ago. Um, random story. My father um, dated Juanita Jordan at the time. They went to the same high school, and uh, we were just at my grandparents' house, and they lived right across the street. And um, Juanita came through, and my dad and Juanita were friends. And she's like, "Hey, Jordan's uh, supposed to come through, but don't tell anybody." And but, all right, we won't tell anybody. No one believed it, and we were just sitting down on the stoop, and sure enough, Jordan rolls up in his Corvette, and everyone just started flocking over, and by then you just saw probably like about 300 people around the house. No one got close to the house. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Chicago living, but the houses are very, very close yep, next door. Yep. Um, but the house next to this particular house we were at didn't have a – had an open lot. And so someone had a football, and my dad – and, like, six of his friends and a couple of MJ's friends played football right in that empty lot for about an hour. 
That's I mean, string awesome. football, like tackle football. <laughs> I'm like, this is the best player in the NBA playing football, which we never knew he had any love for, but just playing football in the middle of in the south side of Chicago. So when you were recruited, Valpo was also heavily recruiting Jeffrey Jordan. Did you know that? Yes, I actually had a, a personal relationship with him. I, I tried my best. <laughs> so I, I was like, "What?" Just take me through that a little bit, because again, I, I saw this because you know Jeffrey, a very young Jeffrey, popped up on the documentary the other day, and it it took me back to reminiscing about that. Um, uh, so so you were uh, you were leaning on him a little bit. Yeah, um, he when he first got recruited, he gave me a call and was like, "Hey, like, what's Valpole about?" And I was like, you know, it's a small school, but, you know, they're very, very community-bound. Um, you know, it's very, very tight. Um, you're not going to get the full experience that you're going to get at a big school. I'm like, but you're going to get a strong – I told him straight on, like, you're going to get a strong education, and you're definitely going to know discipline about the game of basketball. You have one of the greatest coaches that are playing the game. He's not going anywhere for a while, and <clears throat> he's got one of the best shooters that ever played the game. So if you want to elevate your game, this is the place to come to. And I, I heard that he came on his visit and some Tim's and went up for a dunk. <laughs> I was like, oh, this kid can jump. Uh, but, you know, I think he wanted to go a little bit higher as far as uh, of a mid-major. Uh, ended up committing to University of Illinois. And you know, now he's doing well for himself, obviously. But uh, I think he made a good decision. And, uh, it, it, yeah, it was between Valpo and Illinois. Really, it came down to that. And I think he ultimately went on to Central Florida to play with his brother Marcus uh, for a little bit. Um, so now, you know, you get through that 9-22 and season. But in the middle of it, and, and again, I, I don't know how much we want to get into this because, it's, it's, for me, it's so great. And, and I know you and I have some memories about this. Uh, it's January. Uh, Harlem Globetrotters are in town. And here comes a 7-foot monster on an official visit named Biaz Hamga. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Biaz commits to Valpo. I, he, I think he was your roommate, right? Yes. He commit, I, I'll, I'll put a couple things out there, and then you can fill in the blanks. Biaz commits to Valpo. You guys go on, like, a long road trip. Like, I think, if, if, I, if I remember correctly, like, you know, I'm just, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the schedule. I think it, it doesn't even look like it was that long. You know, you were at Milwaukee for a couple of days or whatever. But um, I just remember, and may, maybe it was a couple of weeks in, you guys went to Butler, you went to Wright State, you went to Detroit, whatever. And it snowed like crazy. And this guy didn't have a winter coat. He came from Vegas um, and uh, from UNLV. What, what, and, and he was kind of all alone. And what do you remember about your time with B.S. Hamga? Biaz was a very, very interesting person, but at the same time, he was. People looked at him as as not a smart person, but he was very, very intelligent. Uh, little did people know, um, he understood the, the game itself. But um, at the same time, this was new to him. He's he's coming from UNLV, a huge school, all the lights and glamour to a school that now is very, very. Um, know like i said very very into the community you're you're seeing multiple the same people multiple times during the day um so it was almost a a culture shock for him i I believe um and that kind of like took him out of his element but 
as far as him playing the game, he was just so strong and so smart and understood. He could pass very well. Um, that's one of the things that he was, I think, not able to showcase uh, while he was there on the court just because you know, he never got to play on the court. But he was just a very, very underrated player, and I think that he could have been a very, very successful person uh, or basketball player at Valpo. Midway through that year, you guys had lost like four in a row or something like that. And and I just remember, this is one of the strangest things that's never happened before, and it never happened since. Homer calls in myself and Mark Lazarus, the, the reporter from the other newspaper, and has a press conference like in the middle of the season in the team room. And it's Homer, Brandon McPherson, Biaz Hamga, and Corey Johnson in there. And it's like there's like 10 games left in the year. And Homer says, let's talk about next season. Um, I, I thought it was part genius because he's showcasing Corey and Biaz and and all of that. And I thought it was part a slap in the face of kind of what was going on with with you guys at, during that season. What, I mean, just was was it hard to to push through the end of that year? Uh, yeah, just because I think that we thought that we were a better team than what we showed on paper. Um, I mean, we had Corey who was playing incredible when, still. Yeah, no, Corey, I don't, Corey wasn't eligible in the 9-22 and 22 year. I think he was sitting out that year. Oh, I thought you were talking about our Yeah, team. no, 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 your junior year. We'll get to your, your junior year. You, oh. you turned things around pretty well. Yeah, I was going to say, okay, then this is when Brandon McPherson was still playing. Yeah, and Brandon, Brandon, was, uh, Brandon was hurt. This was Diebler's year. Again, it was just a... It was a tough, tough finish, and then I think, you know, you go into to Wright State for the conference tournament, and you guys get knocked out there. What you know, going into your junior year, was it like, okay, let's just shake off that previous year and and let's get back to business here? You add in Brandon Wood, you add in Corey. Got you. Okay, I thought you were talking about my junior. No, year. no, 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 no. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. Going into, um, going into the junior year, I mean, that was just thinking about it uh, as far as like, hey. This is almost going to be just like a wash year. And that's exactly how I took it. Like, there was no way you can <laughs> come back from a nine in whatever season. Um, and I think, you know, Coach put us to work that summer. I mean, it, it, you, can, you can almost feel just like the team camaraderie get a little bit different, especially when Corey and Brandon came through. Um, I'm talking about Brandon Wood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just even just like the off season, We started our off season a lot earlier. Um, I don't think we left to go home I think I maybe left to go home for like a maybe a week and then we came back in and we played every day and we had everyone pretty much living at the house that Corey Brandon McPherson and um, I lived in so we had we had bought a, a house for the summer and had all pretty much all of our teammates live in that house so when we all got up we started workouts early in the morning so that transition just from a, a, a mental perspective and just knowing that, hey, we have to change what we did last year and we can't do the same thing that we did last year and continue it to the next year because it's not going to work. I mean, the, 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 the level of play was was exceeding with, you know, Cleveland State, Wright State, Butler, obviously. I think they had just lost Hayward because he left his sophomore year, but we knew that they had a great coach and knew that they had a great recruiting um, team coming in is like you know, we still have all these people that are coming to come at us and we have to elevate our game 
you guys had such an interesting roster that year because you brought in a couple of those transfers in B. Wood and Corey Johnson, who led the team in scoring. B. Mac was back. Uh, you were fourth on the team in scoring that year, I think. Um, and then you had all these freshmen, Brokoff, Kenny, Kurth. You know, Bugs is on his redshirt year. He missed a, a couple of, you know. Uh, wh- what did what was your first impression of Ryan Brokoff? Man, it's, it's funny to have a, a great relationship with Ryan now, but <laughs> I can say this in, in confidence to, to where he was at. I, I think uh, Bryce came up to me and asked him about Ryan. I was like, I don't know, Coach. <laughs> I was like, I, I don't know if this is the one just because uh, <laughs> I felt like his lateral movement was a lot slower. Um, but, man, uh, Ryan was probably – I would guard Ryan and Ryan would guard me in practice. He would just go at it. And I think that made me a better competitor, and I think that made him uh, a better, you know, player just to prepare him for his longevity of his of his season at Valpo. Um, I think, like I said, he was a. I think we had Andrew Ferry who just left too before that, but Andrew Ferry. I think did he leave our software? Yeah, no, Andrew Ferry left after the nine and twenty-two season. His father actually wrote a book called "The Faith in the Freshman," in which I'm quoted in. And um, I remember the the Andrew Ferry one. You guys went to play at Loyola, and I think there were maybe like five healthy scholarship players left. And and I thought Andrew would get a lot of run in that game, and he didn't. And uh, I thought, well, he's gone. And he ended up transferring to Cornell, Cornell where yeah. where my girlfriend graduated from. And he uh, became a great three-point shooter for them. Yeah. I, just, I know we'll continue to talk, but as far as the hardest person working in the gym during the time and after the time, Andrew Ferry by far is the hardest working basketball player in practice I've ever seen in my life. I've never seen anyone shoot so many jump shots from the time in practice to the time after practice to the time almost at 2 in the morning or 3 in the morning. That kid wanted to shoot and be the best shooter of all time. And maybe not as showed in the game at Valpo, but, man, there was no way you could say that he never put in the preparation uh, to be ready for those moments at all. I, I always thought in another simulation of the world, there's an opportunity where Andrew Ferry ends up getting in, improving, and becoming one of the all-time greats to play at Valpo in terms of shooting, right? Like, I, because I'd see it when I'd come watch you guys in practice or open gyms, right? And, and I just thought, man, what does this guy got to do to get on the court? And when it didn't happen that year, again, I think you guys went to, you went to Loyola in the uh, the the 2008-2009 season when things just went really, really kind of south for you. And you had, you were healthy. Um, so you guys, in that game, you started Mike Rogers, uh, who had 16 points to lead the way. DeAndre Haskins, Cam Witt, you started, and Diebler played all 40 minutes. Logan Jones came off the bench and played 29 minutes. So you guys had six healthy scholarship players Andrew Ferry played one minute in that game, and I just was like, "Put the guy in the, in the game, you know, let him let him play." And it never happened. Yeah, I like I said, I'll I'll, I'll never know why. Because um, I'm, I'm not a coach, I don't know what the relationship. But like I said before, like there was never a time where uh, he was not prepared to come off that bench and show uh, his capabilities of what he was able to do on the court because he prepared himself for the to be for those moments. 
I want to ask you about another guy that comes in because I think you guys played similar positions and as time went on similar gritty hard-nosed style of basketball what what did you think of Matt Kenny when he first showed up <laughs> Matt was uh he was that that freshman that that knew that he was a division one basketball player uh, <laughs> and wanted to walk the walk and talk the talk uh, Matt was just you know a young kid who wanted to to have fun and, and, and enjoy the game of basketball, and he did that. Uh, Matt would <laughs> would work his butt off in the weight room. He was a strong kid. He would work his way on the basketball court and just literally just study the game from a play perspective to those different vari- variables of if the play changes, what can do next. He could break a play and make a basket if he wanted to. Um, very, very just a hog, man, just on the court, did all the dirty work. Um, but Matt Kenny was just like, I, he was a different breed for sure, but man, I love playing with Matt, especially going into that Butler game. I'll never forget that step back if you want to talk about that well, later. Well, we're going to get to that. So your freshman year, you go 22-14. and 14. You're riding high. Sophomore year, you go 9-22. and 22. Junior year, you go 15-17. and 17. Now you're going into your senior year. You add this big man, Kevin Van Vyke. You add another Chicago kid in Jay Harris. You get another kid in, in uh, Vuk, Hervoye Vucic. Um, you know, you, you there's a handful of guys that have left the team. Halverson's gone. Milos is gone. Um, you're going into your senior year. You're the old man on the team. You're, you you finish your career number four all-time in games played. Matter of fact, when, you're, when your year ended, when your career ended, you were the leader all-time in games played. You've been passed now by uh, by uh, Bugs and uh, Alec Peters as well, I think. Um, and Brokoff. Brokoff passed you as well. But um, your senior year, going into that year, you know, you, you've turned things around a little bit. you got B. Wood back. you got Corey back. What's going through your mind getting ready for your senior year? Uh, I think, for me, I think uh, the year before, we were just I was so more focused on just actual on-court basketball. And then going into my senior year, um, I knew that I just needed to get stronger. Um, and so um, just stayed in the gym uh, for workouts. I mean, I that year I got I, think I gained like an extra five pounds of muscle. Um, I got a new tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> I remember just, uh, just being just like the – Knowing that my body just needed to get stronger, um, I knew that I haven't had any big injuries, and I wanted to stay that way. And it was more about, you know, preventing my body from getting into injuries. Knowing that I've been playing the game consistently or consistently for the last four years without any major injuries, so uh, the weight room was my best friend. Um, and then, obviously, just doing some smaller things outside. I, I don't think we came back earliest. It's like we did the year before, but ended up getting a, a PT. Uh, I traveled a lot, went to L.A., worked out in L.A., worked out in Arizona, worked out in Miami. Um, so I was moving pretty quickly just in, in different workouts, just trying to elevate my game. The season starts off a bit ominously. You go to Kansas. You lose by 25 points. No, excuse me, 35 points. I'm not good at math. Uh, what was it like playing at Kansas? You played at North Carolina your freshman year, Kansas your senior year. Two of the loudest places, I imagine. Yeah, uh, the loudest place I play, but uh, just I mean, I just it was an L for us. We took that L, but uh, being able to play against my cousin uh, Mario Little, 
That's right. I that forgot was, about uh, that. A big thing for us. I mean, finding out that for one, he was my cousin at a sign-up sheet, um, signing up for an AAU team probably our sophomore year of of high school, and ended up playing together uh, junior, senior year, and then both of us. He ended up going to a JUCO. I ended up going to prep school, and then he stayed at a JUCO for two years, and then ended up going to Kansas, and then just how it just came about, just like being able to play against him and just our basketball journey just until our senior year uh, was pretty cool just to uh, be uh, together on that on that platform. I totally forgot. I remember writing that story and, and interviewing you about that. I remember how crazy. I actually interviewed him, too. I remember how crazy that was that you guys, by happenstance, found out you were related. That year, the Horizon League was a little screwy, and they, you had two conference games, like, I think maybe like the fifth and sixth games of the year. They were on the road at UIC and Loyola, so not necessarily far for you guys. You beat UIC in overtime at their place, and then you beat Loyola at their place. You had uh, you had 16 in that game. You were the leading scorer for Valpo. W- was it odd to play conference games like way early in the year? Uh, no, I think you know, basketball is basketball. It doesn't matter who you play. Um, you're just more familiar with uh, the players, their style of play, and actually, I think it's a little bit easier when you play against conference players a little bit earlier because you know, um, know how their offense is. You know, study them a little bit easier. Um, side note: I always had a chip on my shoulder with Loyola because they said that I could never play Division One basketball. But yeah, that, so what what was that like to go up against teams from Chicago in Chicago? Did they did the, it sounds like Loyola didn't recruit you at all. No, I, I mean. For one, UIC uh, always respected uh, Coach Howard, um, Howard Moore at, uh, at UIC. He was always a person who I respected highly. He re- recruited me in high school when he was at Wisconsin. Um, but then just I can't even remember the head coach at Loyola at the time, but my senior year he uh, I had a really good game. I, had, I think I had almost like, like 40-something points. Had my last dunk as a windmill. And uh, came up to me, kid you not, straight words was like, I don't think you're ready for the Division One level. I That, like, crushed me. And my dad got upset and was like, no, what, prove him wrong. And that was, like, my chip on my shoulder every time I played Loyola. was like, no, what, make sure that you show that coach that, you know, they made a mistake. Well, you, uh, you had a fair amount of success against Loyola. Your junior year, you swept them. You're uh, looking back on uh, you split your sophomore year, and I think your freshman year it was uh, well they they want they got a couple on you your freshman year, um, and then we'll talk we'll, we're gonna talk about the Loyola game. There's a few games I want to talk about in your senior year here. Um, you guys go to Oakland for a, an interesting tournament, and you guys win 103 to 102. Do yeah, you, I mean that th- that's got to be a memorable game, right? That was all. I mean. You always talk about, and even in the in the documentary where you talk about like basketball, the the players win the games in the front office. That was a lot of coaching. Um, Coach Homer and 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 the and the team had us well prepared because they had a big guy on their team um, that was solid. And yeah, Keith Benson. Team, yeah, we would double team him and let them swing the ball throw the ball around, and we would just rotate out and force them to shoot the jump shot, but get the ball out of his hands. And we did that every single play. And we were tired, too. I remember we were so tired, but 
it was a game plan of what we had to do, and we did it at a high level, I believe, and we came out with the win. You followed, you followed out in 18 minutes. I don't think you yeah. followed out often, but you followed out of that one. Um, and so then moving on from that game, obviously you get back in the conference. You go to Butler on January 1st. They, uh, they, they, they beat you by 17. What, what's it like playing at 2 o'clock on New Year's Day? I mean, you want to, like, New Year's Eve, you want to have some fun or whatever, like, but you got a game the next day, a game against the rivals. Is that, uh, is that just kind of the frustrating part of being a – or the tolerable part, I guess, of being a college athlete? Not at all. I mean, I, so I remember that night in the hotel just being with the guys, and um, I, had, I still have the photo. I'll send it over to you if you want it. But I had all the guys um, – come to our room and uh, got a, a, a bottle of sparkling champagne uh, and just made sure, like, hey, you know, we're a team, we're a family, doesn't matter where we're at, as um, long as we're together and we fight for each other, um, you know, we're going to be successful no matter what, on and off the court. And I think that was, like, the difference between our team. It's just, like, our team camaraderie was just amazing. Um, but like I said, even in a, in a different time spectrum where this was New Year's Day, what we're playing, but it's basketball. This is what we signed up for, and this is what we love. So my senior year, uh, Valpo goes out to Kansas, and I was traveling with the team with radio, and we're out there for New Year's Eve, and we all went to a restaurant uh, like at midnight because they, they, they didn't play – Valpo didn't play till the 2nd. And so on the 31st, we went out, and – the NBA had some days off too, and Bryce was playing in the NBA at the time, and he flew out to Kansas because they had some days off. So he flew out to Kansas to be with the team. As a matter of fact, that was the first time I'd ever met Bryce Drew. And at midnight, uh, Homer ordered a round of shots of 7-Up. And uh, in the team, we did shots of 7-Up at midnight. And then uh, then we left, and I may or may not have uh, bought a bottle of uh, champagne as well from the bar, and I snuck to the assistant coach's office or hotel room, and we, uh, we continued the party that night. Um, funny story, two nights later, uh, Valpo, plays, um, Valpo plays Kansas, and Kansas wins a very close, very tight game, and we stayed in Kansas that night, and I went out to the bar, and it was Kirk Heinrich's 21st birthday. So I was I was at Kirk Heinrich's twenty first birthday party. <laughs> uh, that just shows how old I am. I bet you he I bet you he went wild that night. I'm sure he did. Well, they, they I mean they won, and it was a really it was a really good game. So so after that loss at Butler, you rattle off five in a row. You lose a tough one at home to Green Bay, uh, and then you, a game winner, right? Uh, yeah, I don't remember exactly how that one unfolded here. I'm gonna do a that quick. That was my fault too. <laughs> Well, so that was the game at Green Bay. We're going to get to that one in a second. Um, let's see here. Um, no, that game uh, that that game at uh, at at home, I think Brokoff hit a late three-pointer to make the game look close. Um, so so but the, the game at Green Bay, I know that was your fault. We'll get to that one in a little bit. Uh, but let's talk the Butler game. Valpo hasn't beaten Butler in years. They roll in. You guys are a good team. You've won eight of your last ten games, but you just you haven't you haven't gotten Butler yet. They come in and uh, just just take take me into the mindset of, of you know you're gonna play these guys one more time in your in your career. Uh, what were you thinking going into that one? Man, I think uh, Mike Rogers and I had a long talk 
uh, the game. And, you know, we were just talking like, man, we never beat these dudes. Like, like we just never could, like, find a way uh, to just come with a victory. And I remember uh, Mike literally said, like, the easiest response. He was like, let's just find a way. And I was like, man, it just stuck with me. It just stuck with me. And so we go in and we go into pregame warm-up and we come back in and coach gives us like the offensive and defensive uh, strategies of what we're going to do. And I remember putting my hand in the middle. I was just talking, trying to motivate the team. I was like, hey, whatever you guys got to do, I'm like, just let's just find a way. I'm like, just find a way. If it's something small, something little, just find a way. And it kind of stuck in our heads and like me and Brandon, I looked at Brandon as soon as we had the tip off. I was like, find a way. I, you might be able to see, I don't know if it's on there, but I was like, find a way. And he was like, let's do it. And it just came like this thing on the court. It was like, find a way. And we would just chip, chip, chip and uh, just try to find a way to win the game. You guys led for a lot of the game. You're up late. You're up eight points with three and a half minutes left after Brokoff hits a three-pointer, and here comes Butler, Shelvin Mack, a couple free throws, Sean Van Zant hits a three, Norad gets it down to two points. Um, you know, I don't think you guys did not score, I think, a field goal in the last three and a half minutes of, of regulation. Matt Howard scored late, and uh, I think Corey missed at the buzzer. So you go to overtime. And again, you guys are up big right away. Matt scores uh, right off the bat. Brokoff hits a three-pointer. Um, but then here comes Butler. They they get it back. Chase Stagall, who I, I don't think anyone said his name in a long time, hits a three. And uh, now there's a minute and a half left. You make a jumper. Mack misses a shot. You guys are holding the ball. You're holding the ball. It's a four-point lead right now, and you hit an off-balance three-pointer as the shot clock goes down to have a seven-point lead with 37 seconds left. And obviously, I think it's you know the biggest shot of your career at Valpo, and obviously one that will live on in Valpo lore for a long time. What? <laughs> I don't even know that maybe you had a plan when you took that shot, but what it, what it, does do you remember it? And what do you see when you when you think about that highlight? Yeah, I'm, I, the play wasn't for, designed for me. Um, the play was designed for uh, Ryan. Um, he was actually supposed to come off and get a screen from the block and come off that screen. And usually he's open for that pass. That I usually give him. And as I remember, I have to think. I think he was being held. And Homer, you can see him just stomping his foot, just pointing like at the ref, looking at him being held. And so when I looked up at the clock, I was like, well, he's not going to be there at the time when I pass him the ball because if I pass him the ball, the shot clock or the uh, clock's going to go off. So literally right when I saw that, I just looked at the rim and I just pulled. And my dad always said, jump, arc, push on long shots. That's the only thing I thought of, which is jump, arc, push, and keep my wrist in the air, and that thing fell in. And I remember it wasn't like a nothing but net because that rim had a, a different type of rattle to it, and you can hear it just rattle in a little bit. I just felt like my heart fell out of my chest. Man, I'm watching the I'm watching the highlight on YouTube as you're talking right now. There's a YouTube clip up called Howard Little Turns the Lights Out on Butler. <laughs> and it's got 487 views. How many of those are you? I've never seen it. Okay. I have, I have one DVD that someone made for me, and they gave it to me. 
So again, I see here you come across the shot clocks down. You kind of you go to dribble through your legs. I think Norad is on you, and it. I think this is on the three pointer, not the pull up jumper at at the free throw line. But it looks again. It looks like you want to get the ball over to Brokoff, who is guarded, and you kind of fumble the ball a little bit in in between your legs when you go to to dribble it through. And then, so you pull you pull the ball back, like far back, like you're going to try to give it to Ryan, and then then you you just toss it up there, and as you said, it it rattled through, and I mean the arc goes crazy. I mean I, that that at that point for me was like the loudest I'd heard it in years. Yeah, I mean it's it's just one of those things. Like I mean, four years not being able to beat that team, and and their proof is in the pudding. They They've gone to the NCAA tournament every year, been to the championship for Final Four twice. Um, and for that just to happen, or that particular shot to happen on that day, on that particular team, uh, just made everything just more exciting just for, not just for me, but I think just that whole arena itself. So you're, you're flying high off that. You go to Cleveland State. You lose a hard-fought game. They were good. They had some some really good, talented players at their place. You win on the road at Youngstown. You beat Detroit. You beat Wright State. You're rolling again. You go up to Milwaukee, and, you know, I, I always – my memory tells me that if you win that game, you win the Horizon League. There were awful lot of games left still in conference at that point, but it, it felt like a big moment, and – this is the night where Mike Rogers missed right at the basket there. Um, obviously, a t- and, and, and we'll get to the Green Bay game in a second. Um, what do you remember from that Milwaukee game and, and really trying to lift up your teammate after that? Uh, Mike was hurting in that locker room. Um, I mean, head down, tears. Um, you know, you just really, really felt for Mike um, – knowing that he was always one of those players that just wanted to help the team out. Um, and we did that. I mean, you know, Coach made made it sure that, hey, you know, you can't put this all on one player. You know, there are a lot of mistakes that we made during that game. But, you know, Mike really felt that, you know, that game um, was lost because of him. And we made sure we picked him up. I mean, Mike, Mike was hurt. Uh, we got back to the – to the um, to the arc, um, and I chilled with Mike. I think it was me, Mike, B. Wood. I think it was uh, Corey. Uh, just stayed in the locker room just for a little bit, just to make sure that he was cool. And I ended up taking him home um, after the game. Oh, we got back to the arc, but yeah, that was that was tough for Mike, and, and that was like one of the first times I think he really felt that he let the team down like that. I remember the next day there was a women's basketball game at the Arc, and I remember coming into the building to cover that game, and he was sitting at Miss Sherry's desk and just watching the highlight over and over and over. And I was like, "Man, Mike, you gotta let it go. You gotta let it go." And uh, and so then you played Missouri State at home in the bracket buster, and Dick Vitell showed up. Yeah, Di- that was uh, that was <laughs> an interesting game. Um, for one, that was uh, a build up. People knew that he was coming. He's, I don't think he's ever done a mid-major game in his career. Um, so for someone like that to come out and uh, have just the energy um, at Valpo was just—it's always an enjoyable time. Corey Johnson was on this podcast a couple of years ago, and and he told me that 
he's trying to go through warm-ups and Vitell comes out there and grabs him and is like trying to post him up and Corey is trying to figure out if he should actually go hard at Vitell or uh, <laughs> or take it easy. And uh Yeah. That's the crowd going a little bit for sure. So then it, it the Horizon League was so screwy, right? Because you have to go to Milwaukee you come back home for the bracket buster, then you have to go back up to Detroit or uh, Green Bay, excuse me. And and it's you know it's winter in Wisconsin. It the weather wasn't great. Um, you get up to Green Bay, a team that you'd lost at home with by two. You go up there, you go to overtime. I think Bugs forced overtime with a layup, and and then, man, you beat Butler. Howard, but you, you struggled against Green Bay uh, late in the game. Broke off hits a three, and I think what you I think was it a charge? You're trying to draw a charge or something? Yeah. So literally, I I, I would read the the uh, the point guard who would come off, and I, I took the charge right at the top of the key. Um, and I tried to shift over just a little bit because I knew that he liked to come off the screen a little bit harder. And right when I came over, I didn't get my feet as squared as I wanted to, and he ends up clipping me a little bit. And obviously, if you don't get a a, a straight chest or shoulder-to-chest uh, charge, they're always going to call a blocking foul. And when he hit it, it just nicked it. And I had, as soon as I did it, I knew I, I was going to get a blocking foul. And um, they ended up shooting free throws, and obviously winning the game, but well, well, so, I had a conversation right after the game with with Homer, and then he's like, he looked at me. And he, he looked like he was pretty disappointed because he knows I'm a pretty decent defender, and and I shouldn't have. I should just play regular defense and not take the easy way out and try to get a charge. But I tried to make a big play, and so, uh, so, so yeah. I talked to him for a while. He was like, "What were you thinking?" And I was like, I, "I wanted to win." Man, he just looked at me. He was like, "All right." I was like, "I just wanted to win." I tried to make a play, and it wasn't the right play, but. Um, I was known for taking charges. I was known for throwing my body out and making sure I can, you know, get the person to put their body right in the middle of my chest and I can make a good acting job of getting that call. But it just didn't go that way, and it ended up costing us the game. Well, it was tough, too, because you, you tried to take that charge. Uh, Perrine, who was a, an excellent guard for Green Bay at the time, per- Perrine goes to the line. He splits a pair of free throws. That second free throw, you got the rebound. And you came down on the rebound, and I think you traveled on the rebound and ended up turning it over there as well. That I do not remember. That, no, that's what that's actually so. So you committed the foul. It was eighty seventy eight. You committed the foul. He made the first free throw. He missed the second one. Um, you uh, you pulled the rebound down on the missed free throw. But as you were, I, I actually I I'd have to go back and look at the video. I think you might have been fouled. But when you grabbed the ball. You went to the ground. It was like a hard-fought rebound. You pulled down the rebound. You went to the ground, and they called a travel on you. So Green Bay got the possession back, and Perrine hit a jumper with 11 seconds left, and then uh, B. Wood missed the, missed the shot that would have been the game winner with a second left in the game. Yeah, uh, I remember that. I just didn't remember the – I probably don't remember just because it was uh, – You blocked that one out of your mind. That's a good one to block out of your mind. That's the one I, I'm pretty sure I remember a lot of games. That's the one I can't, but I, I'll never forget that charge. It's, and Homer asking me, you know, what were you thinking? I just said I was trying to win the game. So you're still rolling good, and then you go, you come home and you lose at home by 20 to Loyola. I mean, that had not happened in a long time. Um, and I'm sure there was some shell shock from both the Milwaukee and the Green Bay loss. And suddenly now you guys are 
are kind of fighting from behind. And and I think there was a three-way tie for first place yep. in the Horizon League, and you guys were a game behind in as the number four seed. You went from having a chance to, to host the conference tournament to now having to go to Milwaukee, and uh, and you beat Detroit. You know, so, you know, you beat Youngstown at home, easy win. You beat Detroit on Friday night, and then you play Milwaukee in the conference semifinals at home, at their place. You know, this is a team that you won at home by 17 against earlier. You almost beat them a couple weeks beforehand. And I remember, like, Corey Johnson fouling out in, like, five minutes. I thought the refs were awful in that game. Yeah, and this game I had a uh, a bruised thigh. So I actually played with a, um, a wrap on my right thigh. It was, I mean, it was killer. Just felt like, you know, every time I took a step, no, it, it just pulled and pulled and pulled. And so Coach kept on asking me, he was like, you're a step behind. And he told me, like, you're a step behind. He's like, you need to get together, but you're just running real slow. And literally, like, I didn't feel it just because my adrenaline was so high. But every time we took a timeout, it just started throbbing. Um, but it was just, I think our coach would always, even just from that loss after Loyola, he would just always say just like, Make it your destiny. Like, don't put it in other people's hands to to control your destiny. If you guys win, you guys control that. If you guys lose, now you have to depend on other teams, and it gets, gets way too frustrating. And that was one of the things I was really trying to stay in our heads. Like, hey, we win, we don't have to worry about anything else. We have to worry about everyone else trying to figure out if we lose or anything like that. So that was that was one of the, the, the struggling parts of that. We took those L's, and now we were – hoping for other teams to lose so we can get in. So you lose to Milwaukee, and it's tough. And I got to imagine you you turned around. You, the, the program was turned around at this point, right? Like you had gone through the tough spots your sophomore, junior year. You're back to winning 20 games a year. You expect to go to the NCAA tournament. You lose that game. I think there's probably a lot of people that wanted the season to be done at that point, and then – they come back and they say, hey, we're going to play in this CIT tournament. Not only that, we're going to host a game. And then they put you against Iona, who I thought was – I thought Iona and Valpo were the two best teams in that tournament. Was it hard to get motivated for a tournament like this, knowing how close you were to, to tasting a chance to go to the, the title game of the Horizon League or to go to the NCAA tournament? Absolutely. I, and the thing – the disappointing thing about this was – um, yes, we, we thought that we were a team that could compete um, in the NCAA tournament, and the fact that we didn't reach our goals, I don't think anyone wanted to play that game, even though we should have, because it was another opportunity to play the game of basketball at the Division One level. Um, and that was, and that, that was the, I think, the frustrating part for us. It's like, damn, man, like, we, we put in all that work. We, we changed our ways to how we approached practice of how we were in, in the in the weight room. We did everything that we needed to do but end up going to the not end up going to the NCAA tournament and now this excuse my French bullshit <laughs> uh, uh, tournament comes up and it's you know, we did the C B I that was like the one that kinda got a little buzz, but now it's like this tournament that's coming up to where like anyone can get into this now. Like you can be owing whatever and still end up getting into a post uh, uh, tournament. It just didn't feel right. We honestly felt like it, it was, it was tournament or bust or at least NIT or bust. 
and going into something like this, it was just felt like a bust for us. And we played horrible. Um, I think I yep. want to say I hope that yep. this is going to stay obviously throughout the Valbo community. But I think Corey and I went out, and stepped out the night before. Yeah, no, that it's it's well known that that happened. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, it. It is. It is. It's. It's always kind of been the thing of myth and an urban legend, but it's certainly circulated around that because uh, you guys played on a Wednesday night, and and this is uh, I think I'll be I'm not telling any secrets here. If you went to Valpo if for, in the 2000s, you knew that Tuesday night was Pepe's night. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I Corey and I were just chilling. I was like, man, Corey, I'm like. This is this is this is crazy, man. Like we're not supposed to be in this situation right now. Like we're supposed to be focused on you know postseason, you know, getting the team together. We're supposed to be at practice, and it just didn't feel right. And he was like, you know, you want to step out? I was like, no. And I wasn't the person to even go out. That was the thing. I was, I would never hit like that. But I was like, I don't know what. I think I might. Do I regret it? No, because Corey and I had a hell of a time. <laughs> well, hey, look, it's so it's 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 funny because like if you look back at you know I'm I'm going to use the the White Sox of the 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 shoeless Joe Jackson White Sox of 1919 or whatever year it was when they they talk about how they took money and they threw the series and all that and then you look at the guy shoeless Joe Jackson played his ass off in that World Series and you know they made the movie Field of Dreams and all that stuff like. You can talk about you and Corey maybe going out or whatever, but you were seven of ten from the floor. You had fifteen point six rebounds. You know he had fourteen point six rebounds. You guys, you played you played hard in that game, right? I mean, now Iona was up like twenty in the first half. I feel like, um, yeah, I, you know, B Wood struggled in that game. Jay Harris went off. He had twenty points, and it looked like you know he'd be the future. And uh, and he transferred a year later. I think um, is it. Uh, you know, obviously, it's, it was your final collegiate game. Do you, I mean, it, it sounds like maybe not bitter, bitter memories of that, but uh, uh, just your thoughts on how that wrapped up. Um, yeah, like I, I definitely didn't want, like I, I, I wanted that uh, Wisconsin game to be our last game. If we were going to lose, I wanted to lose because, you know, I, I made a decision that was going that I thought was right for the team. And yeah, you 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 make decisions right or wrong or whatever it is. You die, you live and die by that. But at the same time, it was like that was a decision that I made. Did that the, was did, my style of play? Did the coaches ever come and talk to you guys about? Do you want to play in this tournament or do you not? No, no, no. I, I think any any time that our coaches even looked at that situation where it was time to play post basketball, that was just an opportunity for more basketball. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they 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 would they would it could have been you guys want to play on the park and they would have accepted that <laughs> uh, for sure. But yeah, I, I would have rather ended it then instead of that Iona game just because it just it, it was a game, but it just didn't feel right. It was it, it, that feeling was awful. And it's interesting too because I, and I, I don't know how much you pay attention to Valpo basketball now, but they just made this run through uh, the, the Arch Madness here and. You know, they, they fell short in the title game. They made a run to the title game that no one thought they could do. And then they were going to come back. They were going to play in the CIT. They had they had accepted a bid into the CIT. I don't know. And, again, it's it's been – I think the CIT is is viewed a little bit differently now than it was back in the day. But it's, it's still one of those things where you can kind of, you know, basically buy your way into it. 
and and you know all the players that are here now were saying the thing yeah you know we hey it's basketball we'll play let us know where to go all that stuff but it you know i i remember a couple of years after you graduated valpo played against columbia in the cit and a couple of guys who were seniors on that team said i don't want to play in this game you know and uh and 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 they they valpo held them out you know and it was i think there was maybe they learned valpo might have learned from the iona experience maybe we ought to talk to the players about whether or not this is a good idea so yeah it, it kind of just like you know i don't say it, it i don't wanna say it tarnished the season but it just put a a bad ending to like our season like we we lost a fair game you know against our out in wisconsin and we had a heck of a run and we won some great games, lost some bad ones, but it was all in all, it was, it was a decent season. We had a 20-plus win season. Um, but then just adding that last layer into it, it's like, oh, and then they had the Iona game, which Iona had some crazy athletes. <laughs> oh, yeah, they were loaded. I mean, they were, I mean Scott Scott <laughs> I mean, Machado, athletes. Mike Glover, they were, uh, they were loaded on that team. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I think uh, – so we went into it that game as like any preparation. Um, I don't think we went into that game as if it was like a Butler game. Do I think? No. Um, I don't think we had the intensity of it going to where like, hey, we're going to win this game, and now it's like, what's next? It just didn't feel like uh, like a tournament game. I felt like a more of a tournament game when we were in Vegas playing than it was that Iona game. Yeah, that was a fun tournament in Vegas, Northern Colorado and Texas A&M Corpus Christi. I remember. I remember that. Uh, also, uh, it, you guys played in the morning, and I think Kansas and Arizona played that night. It was fun to see those teams. You know, I, obviously, I don't want to end on the Iona game as a, as a bad note here. I remember the a couple of weeks later, Homer stepped down. Bryce became the head coach, and and if I remember correctly, I think you went to the press conference there, even though that you were done playing. And uh, were you excited for Bryce? What was your thought about seeing that change happen, knowing that you played on the final teams of Homer Drew? Yeah, that was. Uh, I mean, it was. Uh kind of a shock but kind of not um knowing that no Bryce was eager and ready to take over um I know that they had some similarities um but also knew that Bryce was just um you know younger he was a younger uh, guy he was the guy that you know sought into the future of Valpo um even just from a recruiting perspective um I mean I heard the rumor that a lot of the coaches at Valpo, they just didn't recruit a lot of guys with tattoos. And one of Bryce's first guys that he recruited had two full sleeves. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just it was, it was good to see that there was just like a little bit of a difference coming in um, at Valpo and just a different taste. You know, guys now can you know wear black socks and you know wear just they, be have that culture facial hair the court. Yeah, exactly. It was just a different culture, and, and Bryce brought that. Uh, culture to uh, Valpo uh, that was on the court. Um, say, not saying that what Homer did was was uh, was wrong. I mean, Homer saw it as, hey, you know, we want you guys to be clean cut. You know, we want you guys to look good in his eyes. Um, and w- when you look good on the court, this will be um, practice for when you go into a future job interview. Um, so, like I said, different styles. Um, <laughs> do I say bright style fits more my style? Yeah. But <laughs> my four years, I uh, was truly honored to play uh, under Coach uh, Drew. Richie Edwards, man, that first recruit with the two full arm sleeves. That guy was great. <laughs> that guy was great. Um, yeah. Hey, hey uh, 
we we've been going for a long time. I'm sorry to keep you this long. I, you oh, know, good, man. You're uh, you work. You you've had such a cool job and experience since you graduated from Valpo. Kind of t- tell the listeners kind of what you've been up to and and uh, and the fun that you get to have in your world. Yeah. So for the uh, uh, for the past five years, I've uh, been focused on uh, on basketball. Obviously, love and to my heart, but been able to work with uh, Nike for the past five years, um, all their brand marketing uh, from a basketball POV um, for our central territory of North America. Um, so I've been able to interact with some of the top athletes um, on their marketing um, products, uh, marketing them, uh, making sure they're in the best situation um, as far as to for the consumer. Um, so what they see that's on the court as far as footwear, apparel, um, and it's, it's real cool that I can do it in Chicago, my hometown, um, and connecting with a lot of high schools and, and making sure that they're equipped with all their product and um, making sure that we bring consumer experiences to life from True Insights and, and uh, you know, it's kind of like putting on for the city. That's all. And you were, in, you were in Columbus for a little bit, Ohio, right? Yeah, so yeah, I was in Columbus for uh, a year and a half. Just a little over a year, um, kind of directly working with Ohio State. That's when uh, Ohio State had signed a, a contract with Nike, and so they put me out there just to have a closer connection with them and uh, build some brand events around the community of Ohio State. And then, like right after there, an opportunity came back for me in Chicago, and came back to Chicago and been working directly with basketball ever since. So. Uh, it's, it's cool to be around uh, basketball every day. Um, I'm focused on every sense of basketball product to players to whatever it is that has to do with basketball and Nike basketball. I'm probably involved with, but it doesn't seem like work to me. But at the end of the day, I enjoy it. All right, a couple of quick hitting questions for you, then I'll let you go. You'd mentioned Andrew Ferry, but in, in, who was the toughest teammate that you had to guard in your time at Valpo? Sam Hopper. Oh, oh yeah, there's a there's a name we haven't heard in a while. Yeah, he could man, his quick release was was crazy. Could never block it. That's why I, I those would be tough. But yeah, Sam Hop, I could never block his shot. <laughs> man, you know, we talk about that that other simulation of the world where Andrew Ferry sticks around. Man, if Sam Hompa sticks around, uh, you know, he he turned pro. Um, w- did you did you expect that? Was that a shock? How did that unfold for you? Huge shock. Um and I know, um, unfortunately, it didn't go the route that he wanted. Yeah, the league folded like two weeks after he got there. Yeah, but, I mean, he's had a successful career still. still I think he's still playing the game, but you know, he's married. and he has a kid on the way or has a kid. But I still talk to him every once in a while. But, yeah, by far, Sam Hopper was the, the, the hardest person. I remember one drill. I, uh, <laughs> but Sam was like the golden boy, by the way. When I came in as a freshman and we would do trailing drills, always joked that if Sam was having a hot shooting night, Homer would find ways to keep him on the bench so he wouldn't break Bryce's scoring records. 
<laughs> he had that one when he had ten. He, he did. He did against Chicago State. And I think. I think. Uh, I always joke because I think that he hit the last three pointer when a guy was at the scores table to check in for him. I just remember. Oh, <laughs> uh, we get we we had so much fun with that uh, in in the media side of things. Uh, biggest trash talking teammate that you had. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Jay. Jay was. Uh, Jay looks like such a nice guy, but I knew he was a, a bulldog on the court when it came to the talking. Yeah, he was like opponent or teammate, like in practice. He, he no matter how tall or small, he was always talking trash. Did you uh, did you keep do you keep up with Valpo basketball now? Have you uh, have you have you followed them at all in their in their years with with Alec and now into the Javon Freeman Liberty time? What uh, who 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 is who is struck stuck out to you as uh, as players that you've enjoyed watching? Well, I mean, even then, like when I graduated, seeing Ryan just blossom was was amazing to me. I think you know his jump shot's always been pure, but just the way he's been able to just take that off and open and separate and get jump shots instead of just that wide open jump shot. Now he's dribbling the ball and putting it on the ground. And even my dad would even say, he was like, man, Ryan surprised me the way he, he blossomed into the player that he is right now. Valpo's in the Missouri Valley Conference right now. Is it is it crazy to think they've gone from the mid-con to the Horizon League now to the Valley? Uh, no, I, I think that, you know, players change and the game has changed. Um, and sometimes, you know, you want to fight to get to that big conference and you have to make those jumps. So I think it's good for the school. Um, I think it's good for the basketball community to where we're now playing bigger and better teams um, and represent ourselves well. Howard Little, I want to thank you for uh, for you've taken more than an hour here to, to talk to the Valpo fans and, and and run through kind of a really interesting era in Valpo basketball. I think we you know we talk a lot about the Bryce Drew years and and in going to the tournaments, and then we talk a lot about the Alec Peters and the Ryan Brokoff years. And I, I always thought that that you were a player that really kind of got overlooked in the pantheon of, uh, of exciting, exciting, memorable players here. Um, you didn't miss many games ever. I think, again, fourth all-time in games played, and obviously the win over Butler. You set off a, a win. They haven't beaten Butler, or Butler hasn't beat Valpo since. Um, every once in a while on Twitter, you gotta, I got to remind people just how many days it's been. I'm not sure how many right now, but it's in the thousands now of days uh, January first, two thousand eleven. Last time Butler beat Valpo, and you had a big, big, re- big part of that whole thing there. Oh, that was good. Let's keep that streak going. That's right, <laughs> Howard Little. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Uh, stay healthy and stay safe. You too, my man.